worships. Good morning. Welcome everybody to the house of the Lord today. I'm Pastor Bruce. If we haven't met before, we're glad that you're here and online with us as well. Welcome. If you've got kids with you this morning and they haven't gone down to the fireside room yet, it's just down the hall this direction. Feel free to take them down there. And as others come in a little later, maybe, and you see kids with them, steer them in that direction, take them down there and show them where they can go, and we'll celebrate the palms and the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ as they come forward a little bit later in the service. I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, there is nothing more precious than you. Nothing more glorious, more profound, more important than you. You're our creator. You're almighty God. You're the maker of heaven and earth. You made us individually, uniquely. And Lord God, by the wonderful grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ, we know that we are temples of the living Holy Spirit within us. And we thank you, God, that by your power and by your authority, we are made holy. You declare us righteous. And so, Lord God, when we celebrate today the coming of the King, we ask, Lord God, that you would rule and reign in our lives. Take our hearts, our minds, our spirits, Lord, and mold them into the image that you intend for us to be and to represent and to share with the world around us the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Thank you. 
you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, what a great joy it is to sing and to worship you. And God, we thank you that through Jesus Christ alone we can come before you and give you praise and glory, Father. We thank you that in Christ Jesus we find our salvation. Or rather, actually, you found us, didn't you? And God, we're recipients of your grace. That you've called and elected and chosen us, Lord God, to be here this morning and to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, not just some of them or partially or, you know, Lord, you, you gave it all. You placed yourself in our stead, and we, we come to you today with great gratitude in our hearts that we are made right by your declaration and by the work of Jesus. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit lives within us and guides us, and the truth of your word informs us, and God, you're transforming us day by day. We thank you that when we see you face to face, it'll be glorious, it'll be wonderful, and love will triumph, and death will be no more. We thank you, Lord. We pray now that as we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus, we also never can forget that Christ has entered our very lives too, our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's be seated so we can see the palms and sing together. Hosanna.
Wow, you guys did a really good job. <laughs> so now we're going to sing a song, right? We're singing now? Yeah, we're singing now. Okay, all the kids. Well, we will in a minute. Not huh? right now, but in a minute. In a minute? Never mind. 60 <laughs> seconds. Okay, so you guys have to pay attention because you'll be a part of this song after we do it one time. So it's an echo song. Right, guys? Yes. Yes. So y'all want to stand up so we can all see you? Okay, remember the song we practiced, right? It's called Hosanna. Ready? It's an echo song, remember? So, ready? sing it and you guys are going to do the echo okay and nancy i've heard these guys voices and they have loud voices i know i know yeah come on george they want you to go over here yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know i know that they can sing really that's nice right so we got to hear your voices you guys got to help me we're going to sing and they're going to echo they got to know what to say yeah. you ready okay to these nice ladies up here, okay? And they're going to make a wonderful cross up here with the palm branches. Thank you. Um, and then afterwards, the children are free to go down the hallway for Sunday school. The middle school and high schoolers are staying here. Uh, Gabe and Rachel are, are getting really close to having their baby girl, and they felt safer staying home this morning on the verge. Uh, we'll see what that means as the Lord wills, so... Grateful to God for that. And as they're heading out, just a couple of quick notes. Commission night is tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. For those that could come, we hope you will, uh, to help in the ministries of the church. Also, the Easter offering next Sunday is to help with relief in Turkey and in Ukraine. It goes through the Evangelical Presbyterian Church's uh, general office, and we'll be taking those offerings through the May 7th. So take an offering envelope, mark it for uh, relief or something that indicates to us that that's where it's supposed to go. Good Friday's at 7 o'clock this coming week, and the Seder service that people signed up for is at 5.30. Uh, just bring a potluck meal. If you want to see 
some um, kosher ideas. This is what is contained in these pieces right here. Um, just look through there and see if th something appeals to you. I know that Jenny and I are going to be experimenting with matzo ball soup. It sounds simple, but apparently there's a process, and I'm hopefully going to learn that. And then, let's see, there's an Easter breakfast this next Sunday at 9 o'clock, and we hope that if you're interested, you can come and have a nice breakfast and visit together. It's always a good time. That's at 9 o'clock and Sunday service at 10. Uh, David Scott continues to improve from his paralysis. They have no diagnosis, isn't that weird? But he is improving day by day, and all the short-term disability issues are, are all ironed out. She even got to see an attorney, Rebecca did, in short order instead of a month later. So tremendous. I can't get more excited, you guys. I can't believe it. I'm, this is so, so awesome. Thank you, God, for so many wonderful answers to prayer. It's just incredible. And so he keeps making good progress, so keep praying for them. Uh, Larry Weaver is still on chemo for esophageal cancer, and keep him in your prayers. And Sharon Gard, as well, is making good headway on her chemo. So we're grateful to God for all the wonderful things that are happening. So while they're just finishing up here, why don't we have a, a prayer together and ask God's favor, okay, on all these. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the week that lies ahead. Lord God, around the world, people celebrate you, Lord. We celebrate you through Christ. We celebrate you, Lord, God, with glory in our hearts, the living presence of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that with our brothers and sisters around the world, we can join together to lift up the needs of those in Turkey and in Ukraine. We pray that the gospel will go with these offerings and that more and more people will hear and receive and believe the good news that is Jesus Christ and our salvation in him. We thank you, God, for Gabe and Rachel. We pray for a healthy baby girl. Soon, when the time is right, you're calling. Give them patience and strength and encouragements each and every day until that great event happens. We pray for safety for baby and mommy and for rejoicing. We thank you, God, too, for Larry Weaver, and we ask for healing for him and for Sharon Gard for the cancer to be relieved. We pray, too, for David Scott and for Rebecca as they go through this very strange occurrence of paralysis. We ask, Lord God, that you continue to, as you've been doing, doing your miracles in his life day by day. We see it and rejoice and give you thanks, Father, for the wonderful things you're doing in David's life. We ask his total restoration for him and financial needs met and all the things that go with it. We thank you that we join them in prayer and encouragements for them. Lord, thank you so much for all those that help us this week to do a good worship, celebrating music, celebrating through prayer, celebrating through the word, celebrating through our presence, giving you praise. It's all a gift that we can provide to you because you've given us the greatest gift of all, our life. In Jesus Christ, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, Sunday, we are going to do something a little different. I said that we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus from Romans, and we'll get back to that in a couple of weeks. Today, though, we're going to look at a very classic encounter of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. It's very well known. I think sometimes when something's really well known, we can kind of glaze over it, miss certain items, forget some things we once knew, and I want to go back to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and look at the traditional, one of the traditional texts among many that describe Christ's great triumphal entry into that wonderful city, where he then eventually, about five days later, is crucified. So we're within that proximity 
to his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why next Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on Good Friday, his crucifixion. And on Thursday, the Seder service is a remembrance of the upper room Last Supper. And we'll be celebrating that as well this week. So it's a busy week, but a wonderful week to celebrate Jesus together. I want to start with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit truly bless us, inspire us, touch our hearts. May we recognize the King, the Lord of Lords, in us, that we could truly honor and give you glory with our very lives, with our very bodies. May everything we say and do and all that transpires in our lives, Lord God, may we magnify you, Lord that the world can see you through what we do and what we say and how we react to the things that go on around us. May they give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're five days away from the crucifixion. It's probably on a Monday that Jesus rolled in, although that's, that's not for 100% certain, but it's approximately so. And it's the time of Passover. If you remember the Old Testament account of Israel's exodus from Egypt, there was those ten plagues, the the last occurrence there, the Pharaoh said, you know, I've had it, you've got to go. Well, there was a death angel in that night that passed over people who exercised faith that they'd been told to take the lamb's blood and paint the door frames of their homes. And if by faith they did this, then God would pass over their house and the firstborn son wouldn't be uh, deceased that night. And so they were passed over. Over, and that became the celebration, one of the three big ones. In fact, this was probably the biggest festival, perhaps, was Passover. And that's what we're celebrating this week as well. And in the triumphal entry, this is the season of Passover. It had tremendous attendance. There were perhaps two million people that, by pilgrimage, came into that city and it was just chock full of people, people camping out in the surrounding hillsides and local towns, walking for miles to go in every day and celebrate this great feast. So that's where we're at. I'll start then with this. Number one, it's a well-known saying. Salvation history is his story, right? Salvation history, going clear back to Genesis chapter 3, is really God's story. It's a well-known phrase, his story, but I love that turn of a phrase because it really brings to mind that when we see the word history, we should be thinking about what God is doing all through history. And ultimately, it always points and leads us to Jesus Christ. And in this triumphal entry, for the very first time, Christ lets the crowds declare that he is the king of kings. Prior to this, he avoided every opportunity for that to happen. He... he refused to be lifted up to that position, but now he lets it all go in plain view of everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike, as he comes down into Jerusalem on this day. So verses 1 through 7 highlights this entrance. It says this in the, the process to get there. As they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, so they're coming from the east, over the top of the Mount of Olives and heading west towards Jerusalem, going to go down into the Kidron Valley and then up into the city. At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anybody asks you, Why are you doing this? 
Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Lots of detail, right? I mean, a lot of detail in this piece. And you wonder, well, it could have been shortened like Jesus sat on a colt and rode down the hill and entered Jerusalem. Done. But there's much more here than meets the eye that we should pause and take a look at. And there's a couple of basic points that really, to me, stand out. The first of all is prophetic fulfillment, that what Jesus did was already prophesied in the Old Testament, and Jesus' actions were in response to that prophetic word of God that forecast this very event and the circumstances around it. It's in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion's another word for Jerusalem and the, the nation of Israel. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The word colt can mean horse or mule or donkey, and it's a young one, and it's, it's important that, you know, that nobody had ever ridden on this colt before, and that was a sign of a king. Nobody could ride the king's horse or the king's mule. And we might think, why would a king ride a mule? I mean, it's a mule, for crying out loud, or a donkey. But in those days, that was perfectly fine. It was sort of the Mercedes or the Lamborghini or whatever fancy car you want to come up with or the carriage with the gold gilded sides. This was a sign of a king, but it belonged solely to the king, and that's why nobody had ever ridden this before. So there's a lot of messages involved in this because the king is coming, and this is his ride. And it's not a stallion war horse. This is a peaceful king coming in glory. And that also comes out in the text. So it's definitely a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that we're reading about this today, but there's more here than meets the eye. The second thing that comes to mind is this. Jesus ensured his crucifixion, which is harder than you think. You would think that if you went sideways with the Roman government and you were in the slave category, the low echelons of society, that you could easily get crucified. And that wasn't the case for Jesus. There's a lot of things that would have prevented Jesus from dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so what Jesus does, if you look at it carefully, is he purposefully and intentionally makes certain that he's crucified on the proper day at the proper time in the proper way. So let's look at all the little things that took place that led to the crucifixion. One thing, for one thing, earlier on, the crowd tried to force Jesus to be their king. They had plans. He'd fed thousands of people. They were enamored with the goodies, and they thought, you are awesome. We want you to be the leader of our country, so let's push him to the forefront. Let's declare him king. Let's carry him on our shoulders. Let the world know, and Jesus disappears on them. He will not let that happen, because if that took place, the Romans would have nabbed him and killed him. But it wasn't time yet. You can read the Gospel of John, and it was like his time had not yet come, his time had not yet come, and there's this suspense that builds if you've never read John before. It's another way of saying Jesus was in charge. So he avoided that early 
encounter with the Romans that would have ensured his early and untimely death. The disciples, as well as they got closer to Jerusalem, they didn't want him to go. In fact, when Jesus was reminding them on the road to Jerusalem that he was going to die and be crucified, you know what Peter did? Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, you shouldn't do that. There's no way you should go to Jerusalem. You're not going to die. I don't want you to die. Turn away. And do you remember the famous words, get behind me, Satan? That's when Jesus said that to Peter. There were all kinds of those impediments from the crowd and from his own disciples that didn't want him to go. Then the Jewish general population really admired Jesus. They liked him. He healed people. He taught and amazed them with authority. He did miracles. The people were enamored with him. They flocked to him. Wherever he went, they found him. And the religious leadership that was very annoyed with his popularity was afraid to touch him. They're like, well, if we arrest him in full view of the public, the public will come down on us and we'll have all kinds of trouble. So that was an impediment, too, to his arrest and crucifixion, was the general attitude of the public. During Passover as well, as I mentioned there were two million people, perhaps, in the city at that time. In fact, they found records from 40 A.D., about seven years afterwards, after this event, where they found that they had sacrificed 250,000 lambs. Now, if that's one lamb for every 10 people, approximately, that's a lot of people, isn't it? Here's the problem. If there are two million people coming to Oregon City, how would we find that one person we're after? If Jesus didn't want to be found, he probably wasn't going to be found. So that would have stood in the way. How could they find him? Will you remember what Judas did? Judas went out and sold out for 30 pieces of silver. He promised the religious leadership that they would help them find Jesus. Jesus typically all week went back to Bethany and overnighted on the other side of the Mount of Olives. On the night he was arrested, he didn't do that. He stayed close by. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane instead, which was one of his favorite places to camp out, to stay the night. Judas knew this. And so on the night of his betrayal, Judas knew where to find Jesus amongst all those people and led the mob, the the soldiers, right to Christ for his arrest. So Jesus knew that this all needed to take place. In Gethsemane as well, it was the dark of night. He saw the torches coming. He could have fled. Instead, you look and you read the text, you know what he says to his disciples? Let's go meet them. Let's not make them hunt for us. Let's not hide in the dark. Let's not flee away. Let's not have a stand-in like you pretend to be me while I run off. Instead, he goes right out there and meets Judas in person. He goes to meet them. He's ensuring that he's crucified for our sakes and all those impediments behind. Now, Peter fought, didn't he? He cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the priest, and Jesus healed that wound. He says, put that away. Again, he doesn't want anything to interfere with God's timeline. He knows what he needs to do, and he's in charge. Also, Roman, this is one of the more interesting pieces for me, too. Prior to the year 6 A.D., stoning was possible. You could stone people to death by Jewish law, and that was the case for centuries. But now, because one of the Jewish leaders had been removed from office, and Rome put in a governor that was a Roman governor, 
Now Roman law ruled how people faced capital punishment in Jerusalem. And the capital punishment was crucifixion. So when Jesus died on the cross, that was the only means of capital punishment that was available to him. And that also fits in well with what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And to me, I read that and I see the Garden of Gethsemane, which is olive press, and he was so distressed there that he sweated blood, right? And that's a physiological possibility. And then as he goes then and is crucified, he's pierced. They nailed his hands and feet. They pierced his side with the, with the sword or the spear to make sure he was truly dead. All that, I think, is, well, not I think, but I see it in the word of God, that this is a prophetic fulfillment. If the Romans hadn't ruled the day under Pontius Pilate, he would have been stoned and not crucified. So there's all these elements that God puts together and Jesus' purposeful intentionality to be crucified. I don't know if you've seen some documentaries about Jesus' life, probably written and produced by people that don't believe in the resurrection because they'll say he was a political person, he was, a, he was all involved in politics, he died because he got sideways with Rome, and they, they sort of make it sound like some kind of an election year chaos and mayhem and he's killed because of his political viewpoints and that is so wrong if you look at the entire event Jesus is so intentional on making absolutely certain that at the proper time he's crucified he does everything as he can do as authority and king to make certain that that happens no matter what the obstacles are at the right time there's other things too we may miss and that is that when he was arrested by Pontius Pilate, do you remember what Pontius Pilate's attitude was? The religious leaders in the dark of night had him arrested so the general public couldn't see. In the dark of night, which was illegal, they did their trial, and in the dawn of the morning next day, they brought Jesus before Pilate and said, you need to kill this man. And they came up with all kinds of excuses why Pilate should do this, but Pilate didn't like the Jewish people. He loved the money, he made bank there. He made big bucks being the governor, and that's why everybody wanted that job. But he didn't like the local population at all, and if they said crucify him, he was likely to say no, just to, just to get them and spite them. So then they threatened him, and they said, if you don't turn him in to be crucified, we will tell the Caesar in Rome that you let a king go. And do you remember one of the things Jesus told Pilate? Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus didn't deny it, but what he said was, I'm not a king as you imagine me to be. My kingdom isn't of this world. So he says, you are a king then. And there's, there's the mention of his kingship, and that was, I think, intentional by Christ as well, because he doesn't say much else. He's very quiet, and Pilate's amazed by this. But he uses strategic moments with strategic words to make certain that when the crowd accuses Pilate of of treason if he doesn't execute Jesus, Pilate's pretty self-serving. He wants to save his own skin. He doesn't want to lose his job. He loses the money and everything. So he allows Christ to be crucified. All of this was clearly a movement of God to make sure that Christ died on the cross for us. Then it's Passover. Remember the blood of the lamb on the, on the doorframe? During Passover, you pick your lamb on Monday. When Christ rides down the hill, and I think I've got, can I see a picture of Jerusalem just for a second there? Um, 
right above, whoops, excuse me. <laughs> I fell over that once. It was the best sermon I ever preached. Because I got everybody's attention like that. You see right above my hand here where the, there's a little bit of a dip in the ridge? That is the main road that Jesus would have rode, ridden down as he entered Jerusalem. And he would have come down that hill, and you're looking at it from the, Mount of Ol or, um, the Temple Mount right here, and this is what they would have seen. He would have been very visible, very easily heard, the crowd shouting Hosanna, which means save, save us. And down the hill he came, right by, you see that church dead center there? That's the Church of All Nations. It's a very quiet place. It celebrates the Garden of Gethsemane right there in that area and the crucifixion and the burial of Christ. And it's a beautiful place to go and sit and meditate on all this. But this is what Christ did coming down the hill. And he came openly with profession that he is the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's a great moment for all of them. And so on Monday when they shouted Hosanna, do you know what they did wittingly or not? They chose their lamb. And on Friday, that's when they uh, slaughtered the lambs. When was the crucifixion of Jesus? On Friday. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that's exactly what John the Baptist said. You go back to John chapter 1, verse 29, it says this. John the Baptist, that is, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. And when they shouted, Hosanna, save... They're saying, you're my lamb, and on Friday, Christ is crucified, sacrificed for our sins. And our lives then are passed over. We are then in Passover. We're the passed over people by faith in the blood of Christ. That's what the message is and why God orchestrates it so carefully and why Jesus ensures that it happens at the right moments for the right reasons so that we can tie, we can kind of connect the dots one dot leads to another dot, and pretty soon you realize he is the Lamb of God. He is the one that was foretold. He is our Savior. Romans 5, 9, Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That's the Passover moment right there for us. 1 John 1, 7, The blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Again, you've got the Passover our sins are passed over by God, and we are saved. Our lives are spared because of the work of Jesus for us. So by design, Christ died purposefully, not accidentally, and in control and not out of control. The timing was perfect, and it was all by the grace of God that Christ accomplished our salvation. Look at Romans 5, 6, one of my favorite verses. You see, at just the right time, time. And people say, well, why did God wait all those years? Why did, why did it take so long for the cross of Christ to come? Why, why from Adam and Eve did all those millennia go by? But Paul just sums it up so easily. He says, you know, God knows. And at just the right time, Friday, the sacrificial day, the shedding of the Lamb's blood for Passover, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we couldn't save ourselves. Christ died for the, this is a great word now, ungodly. I sometimes run into folks that say I'm not worthy of eternal life. I, I got to get my stuff together. I need, need to come to church ready. 
And when I read this verse, what's the word? It's ungodly. How ready do you have to be to be saved? The ungodly are invited to salvation. And today might be the day that Christ rides into your life as your king and your savior. But the timing is always God's timing. I, uh, there's no manipulation about this at all. Some, sometimes, you know, the old joke is we'll sing that hymn until somebody caves in and comes forward. Um, I don't know that that's the Holy Spirit work, and I think that's somebody that's desperate to finally go home. You know what I mean? We just trust that the Holy Spirit of the living God works, and when the time is right, salvation takes place. The light goes on. The, the Spirit is transformed. You get the aha moment. And I've had that in my life. And my dad got it later on at 57. Different people get it at different times. I've been with people in their 80s where they knew about the Lord. Maybe they walked away from the Lord, hadn't been to church since Sunday school. And when they found out they had cancer and their life is short and they only have days to live, I've been called to their home. And the question they asked me was, is it too late for me? And the answer to that would be no. Because you're just as ungodly now as you ever were. You know what I mean? You're still a sinner. And by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. All of them. And he had his Bible open. He had his tracts open and everything. And I've told you this story before, but it's one of the most poignant moments in ministry for me. Was the minute he prayed and said, God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you that I'm ready to see you now face to face. And I know that I'm now right with you through Christ. The phone rang. A niece in California that had been praying for his salvation had called her, her aunt, his wife, the very second he finished his prayer and said, how's he doing? And she said, guess what? He just accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And there was rejoicing on the phone. Now talk about timing. I don't think that's coincidence. I think at just the right time, God touched that man's life. And then I was with another person. I remember... Florence was her name, and she'd been in church for 88 years. I'd just come here, so maybe you know her, maybe you don't. And I sat in Florence's living room. She was dying, and I was sharing Christ with her, you know, just connecting on Jesus. And she said, yeah, my son's a Buddhist. I think that's wonderful. And I looked at her because I thought the little alarm bell went off in my head. It's okay not to know Jesus? I thought, what's going on? So I started digging into it, and when I was sharing the gospel with her, she said, you're judging me. In other words, aren't we all okay? And I said, I'm giving you good news. And that was probably one of the most disheartening moments in my pastoral life. There are moments like that. You cannot control those moments. They happen when they happen. You've got to really rely on the living spirit of the living God to at the right time, in the right place, at the right way, touches people's lives. Our job is to be witnesses. God's responsibility then is to choose, call, and elect and save people. And to this day, I am so grateful for the witnesses in my life, but I'm even more grateful that God chose me to reveal Christ to me and make, it, make Jesus real to me. And that's what the triumphal entry, I think, really invites the reader to consider. Who is it? that rides down the hill. Who is it that hears the shouts of Hosanna? Save us. And it's kind of a perspective issue, which gets us to the next point. Oh, by the way, every Christian is part of his history, too. 
Look at John 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Jesus gives us eternal life. We don't earn it, right? And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I love the security in that promise. Nobody can snatch us away from Jesus. When the light goes on, it stays lit. Sometimes it seems kind of dim, let's be honest, but it never goes out. That's the power of Jesus Christ. It's good news. That should settle every heart. If you know him, he knows you. He won't kick you out. He'll never let you go. Even when we're misbehaving and doing our worst or we're really, really forgetful and living in the world and for the world, he never, ever forgets us and lets us go. We're part of his flock. Do you know that Jesus' favorite expression for us? Sheep. You know how uh, sheep are mighty warriors? You're laughing because you know that's ridiculous. Sheep need a lot of care. They're very dependent on the shepherd, and that's what Jesus asks us to remain. Be dependent on the Lord. He saves us. He'll see us through. Thank God for that. Then secondly, Jesus is the Lord. The declaration coming down the hill is very clear. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In other words, like I told you, every night he went back to Bethany. Next morning he came back to Jerusalem, but on that last night he stayed in the area to be found. That's all part of his plan. What's happening here? What is it with Hosanna? This is the only time that you hear the word Hosanna used. Hosanna just means save or save us. Now, here's where the problem lies. Save us from what? Save us from, and put something in your own mind right now, what would be the uppermost important thing that you need or desire to be saved from? The wrath of God? perishing, spiritual death, right? They didn't think that way. What they did was they were so annoyed and upset with the Roman occupation and rule that if you've heard the sermons before and read the text before and done the background work, you know that there was a fixed template in their head that was widespread. Whatever we can do to get rid of the Romans and put Israel back where it belongs as like the center of the world, that the world can come to Jerusalem and worship God with us, that the glory of Israel will shine brightly amongst the nations. They wanted restoration. They wanted a repeat of the Maccabean revolts that drove the Greeks out of Jerusalem. Now they're anticipating that Jesus will drive the Romans out of Jerusalem. It's a matter of perception. They're quoting Psalm 118. Good. That's great. Hosanna, right? If you look at the, the text carefully there, you can see that the Psalm 118 says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. What kind of success? Now, this is where they get confused. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for the house of the Lord will bless you. Now, there's a little bit of a couple of giveaways here. 
that suggests that they had politics in mind, they had a military campaign in mind, that he was going to be their commanding general. I'm sure him riding down the hill on a colt, a foal, wasn't exactly a, a raging stallion, and I don't know what they expected at first. They were probably a bit surprised by that, but nevertheless, that's what kings would ride. So they, they can acknowledge him as king. But they also see palm branches need to be waved. Now, palm branches are a symbol of the Maccabean revolts. That it was on their coinage and stuff. So it'd be like waving another revolt is coming. Also, it honored God, right? He did that for a king. They laid their cloaks down. That was part of it, too, to honor a king. So definitely the language is, here comes the king. Not the governor, Pontius Pilate, but the king of kings and lord of lords. All that's evident in what they're doing. And they're quoting the Bible, but when they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, there's no psalm that says that. There's no verse that says just that. It's biblically accurate, but it's in the wrong time and the wrong way. In other words, they've applied Scripture poorly in this. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. What they're saying is, here's the king, Romans out, we're in, praise God, Hosanna, save us, let's see it happen. And it doesn't. It doesn't, not in the way they expected it. Then in heaven's perspective, since the crowd's perspective was wrong, we want to get it right. Heaven's perspective is, this is the Lord God Almighty coming down to be with us in a way that transforms our lives, that gives us spiritual life, that rescues us from sin and death. The wages of sin is death. He's going to pay those wages for us so that we could have life. That was God's original design, was life. In fact, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, there's two trees there, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody's pretty familiar with that one. But there's the tree of life. And we were excluded in Genesis 3 from that tree of life. The wages of sin is death. The tree of life comes back at the very end of the Bible. Everything in between is full of death and all kinds of craziness and stress and strains and anxieties and illnesses and everything else that we're aware of. But at the end, the tree of the life is restored and we have access to this. And life is brought back to us. And in the middle of it all is the history of God's salvation work for us, the world, that we could have our sins forgiven and be made right with God and have eternal life. That's what this is all about. In fact, 1 Corinthians, well, I'll go back to John 3.16. Very famous, it's on our, our banner over here, but we forget that there are two other verses that follow it that are really instrumental and important. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or his only one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wonderful. Awesome. Praise God. Right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We can face God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. People aren't born neutral. We're all born in sin, and so therefore every single person needs a Savior and so that's why everybody by default is condemned. I was, you were, all that, all that believe in Jesus today were in, at one point in that camp. 
but by the grace of God, we have faith in Jesus today. And that's our salvation. And so we shout, Hosanna, save us, not in terms of the election year of 2024, where you want to turn your TV off. At least I do. I get tired of it. Do you get tired of it? It's already there, and I'm already tired of it. The older I get, the more tired I get. That's not what we pray for. We pray for our leaders. We should. But we should also be aware that ultimately the world needs Jesus more than anything else. The world needs love, and love is not manufactured from a cold, spiritually dead heart that's full of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the very love of God. If you get God wrong, like I say before, you get all kinds of things wrong. The world needs Jesus. That's what makes things change. People want justice? Share Christ. People want to see more love in the families? We want to see families restored. You want to see kids loved and raised up and trained well and to be good citizens? Then let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about salvation. Let's, let's talk about the Holy Spirit's work. Let's show them the Word of God. Our oldest grandson on the phone was delighted to tell us about various Bible stories. It was really fun to hear him connect the dots. That was exciting. Somebody's teaching him. His parents are teaching him. He's got good folks at church that are teaching him. He comes home with this newfound knowledge, and it's all this beginning stuff, but it's great stuff, isn't it? And over time, it all adds up. And that's our responsibility, to make sure we don't miss those golden opportunities so that they come to faith in Jesus. I think one of the things that stumbles around in the dark a little bit is when people don't understand the gospel. They don't understand how good the news is. They can't receive it and believe it because they're confused by it. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations, and this is a better way of life, and this is an ethical way of life, and we want to teach our kids good morals as opposed to some other group. It's really ultimately about whether we're spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And we want to see life. And that is all coming from God. And so I'm delighted. I pray for my grandkids. Are you praying for your family too? I'm praying for those that don't know Jesus. We're not done yet. And like the man that was just days from death that came to faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care when it happens. I want it to happen passionately. How about you? That's part of our calling. Because 1 Corinthians 15, 26 tells us the end game, doesn't it? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I'm looking forward to being unemployed in heaven. No more memorial services. In fact, I've had two occupations that I'd be unemployed. I was a nurse for 10 years. Nobody gets sick and dies in heaven. Okay. And Nobody needs to hear me preach the good news of Jesus Christ because everybody in heaven has already said yes. Right? You don't need pastoral counseling. We can go to Jesus. You got tears in your eyes? God will blot them out. I'm kind of curious as to what kind of work God will have for me to do. I'm sure it'll be great. There's always something to do. And especially being with Jesus is the thing to do. Can't be better than that. It's awesome. One of the things that stirred me to go in this direction now in the message was what Jenny told me earlier this week. And I thought about what she said. She said, when Jesus comes down the hill, we're seeing a king, a lord, and a savior coming down that hill. 
Maybe she said you could focus on the Lordship of Christ in this passage. And I thought about that because certainly that is one of the main points. He's the king. But then I thought that last verse caught my eye and it, it led me into another frame of mind or thought. The last verse was very interesting. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And then what did he do? He looked around at everything. And I thought to myself, we, because there's no temple today in the physical sense in Jerusalem, is destroyed in 70 80 by the Romans. But what does the Bible say about us? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a living temple of the Holy Spirit. And I thought about that, and I thought, what if, what if we imagined, saw in our minds, that Christ comes into our temple and looks at everything? He didn't miss anything, he looked at everything. And I think what he's looking for is what is there that should not be there and what should be there that is missing. And I thought, oh, that, that talks to me. Does God see what's inside of us? All the time he does. Does God look at everything inside of us? All the time he does. This isn't like maybe he's coming in and having a look or not. No, he's there all the time, right? But when Jesus looks at everything, I thought, yes, he does. He looks at everything, all the time. And I reflected on that, and I thought, what a great way for us to think about this week ahead before the Resurrection Sunday, right? How am I doing? If, when Jesus looks into my life, what does Jesus see? Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple, looked around at everything. Now, Jesus is always with us. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple? of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, Jesus is right here with us right now. He's able to see everything in a glance. He doesn't miss anything. And I thought, what a great opportunity for us to step back for a minute and say, I am the temple of the living God by the grace of God, by his de declaration that I'm made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a gift to me, a gift to you. What does he see still? What needs to go? What needs to go? We're still in the season of Lent, church tradition. Season of Lent. Lent is when most people think of giving up something. Some people give up chocolate. Okay, fine, I wouldn't. Some people give up TV. Fine. I don't know that I would. Some people give up other things. But you know what Lent is really supposed to do? Lent is a season where we give up sin. Lent is the season where we think spiritually and not materially. Lent is a season where we get right with God purposefully in terms of getting rid of sin we know we're cherishing and hanging on to like idols in the temple and not just material things if it's not spiritual we're not hitting the sweet spot we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus all of our sins are forgiven what we're talking about here is a responsibility we have as disciples that we will let Jesus cleanse us within and that means we also have a look at ourselves 
Is there something in you this morning that needs to go? Is there something in you this morning that's missing that you've been trying to keep out? And this morning you say, you know what? I, I have to let the Lord have his way in my life. I got to let it let him in. I think that's where the message took me this morning. And it made a, it made a difference for my week just thinking about what does Jesus see in me? What does Jesus see in you? There's a big uh, two-sided sheet back there that I've provided for you this morning. If you didn't pick one up on the way in, maybe you can pick one up on the way out back there. Or it's on the middle table there by the doors. It's got two sides, and basically it's two different authors comparing two different ways we can live our lives. One is living a self-centered life, a religious life, and the other one is living a life that's God-centered and faith-based. And if you look those through, don't race through them. Just slowly read through them. You can use that piece of paper all this week in preparation for Sunday coming up. And I think it's a very good reflective resource that we can all benefit from. And so I provided that for you because I know I personally have enjoyed looking at it. And it's been a great opportunity for me to look at what is in me and what really motivates me and who am I really living for with this temple that God has declared holy. I hope that you'll look at that and, and enjoy it too and let that transform your mind. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a great treasure that we have to come to worship. It's a great wonder that when we read about the, the ride of Christ down into Jerusalem that day, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and why he was doing it, but the crowd was certainly confused and in the dark. But Lord, we've got your word. We've got the insights. We see things, Lord God, through a lens that helps us understand clearly what the perceptions were and, and why they were misplaced by many. But we also see the truth, and we thank you, God, that it is your grace that is the means of our salvation, a free gift. We thank you, Lord, though, that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have responsibilities that you've given us to be transformed, to renew our minds, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to let you truly be King of kings and Lord of lords of our own individual lives and the choices we must make. We pray, God, that as Jesus looks carefully around each one of our temples, your temples, that, Lord God, if something doesn't belong there, reveal that to us. And then give us the encouragement to get rid of it. And then, Lord God, if there's something in our lives that's missing, that should be there, Lord God, help us to open up the door of our heart and let you ride in. Not just giving you allowances, not just giving you a room to rent, not just giving you luxuries of upgrades. Lord God, we give you our entire self today. And if anybody here yet has not had the Lord ride into their life as Lord and Savior, it's time, to, it's time as the Holy Spirit leads you to say, yes, I believe. I receive him. He is my Lord and my King. He is my Savior. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose from the grave that I could have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful gift. Sets me free. May your love fill my heart, and may I love others like you do. 
and to share that news with others. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed on that last supper meal in the upper room, he took bread and after giving thanks to the Father, he broke that and he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he said, this is a cup, the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. He's pointing to his coming crucifixion and his death for our life, that we could live with him forever. I'll also give you a little teaser. If you're coming to the Seder meal on Thursday, there are four cups full drink. I'll let you figure out which one is the saving cup in that moment. It's all there, and it's a gift from God for all of us. Um, here at the church, we just come down two rows on either side here when you're ready, and then we go to either side. There's bread, and then there's a cup. Take the bread, eat it, drink the cup, and then there's receptacles on both sides. If you need some gluten-free bread, as gluten as we can get it, it's also here in the middle. Feel free to take that. Everybody's welcome. You don't have to be a Presbyterian. There are no secret passwords. There are no secret signs. God sees the real sign, and that is that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right here, inside. Jesus says, come to my table and have a celebration with me. And you're all welcome to come. Let's just take a moment and pray, and then let's come. Father, there's nothing more important to us than life. There's no more wonderful love than you. Thank you so much for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you so much for eternal life. Thank you so much for the love that you poured into our hearts, the community of faith that we enjoy. Around the world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you that eternal life means togetherness, family, community, with Christ at the center of all things. We thank you so much again for these wonderful gifts. You're amazing. Thank you so much. We can't thank you enough. We come to your table, Lord God, with gratitude and humility. Thank you, Lord, that with your Holy Spirit in us, you purchased us, that death, does not reign but life and that love can pour out thank you in Jesus name amen come as you're ready
Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the Hosanna saving grace of Jesus Christ and the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And God guarantees it. That is so cool. And all of God's wonderful people could say, Amen. God bless you. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Enjoy each other's company. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, families, for coming and being here. Yay! That was fun. God bless.